0: Someone asked me today if I had a lot of stories about my son. I said, yes, I'm not going to belabor them every time with you. But I did say I'd tell at least one funny one tonight. When he was about 11 or 12, he came to me and he says, Dad, I would like to have a dog. And I told him what parents always say in a situation like that. I said, I'll think about it, which means not in the next thousand years or so. And uh, he asked me again sometime later. He said, Dad, I'd like to have a dog. I said, I'm still thinking about it. They did something extremely underhanded. He invoked the help of his mother. <laughs> me, not knowing that I was about to be cut off by the knees, my wife came to me one day and said, "Sweetheart, did you have a dog growing up?" I, said, I was not really paying close attention. I know men we rarely do that, but I was. At, I did not know that the counterattack was coming. <laughs> I said, yes, I had a dog. I had a little black dog named Princey that we had a German shepherd. She said, Do you like this? Oh, yeah, they were great dogs. Then she said sweetly, Why can't your son have a dog? <laughs> she didn't say it in that tone. But then she said to me, She said, We found a dog. It's the perfect dog, which for a Baptist preacher, that meant one thing it was free. But can I help you with something tonight? If you get a free dog, number one, it's only free for that brief moment in time. And number two, if they're giving the dog away, there's a reason for that. If it's so awesome, why aren't they keeping it, right? We got this dog. He was half lab and half Rottweiler. If you're wondering if this is a good combination, the answer succinctly would be no. It really was a good dog. His name was Roscoe, given to him by his second owner. For those of you in law enforcement, that's the name of Illegal Handgun. Anyone who names their dog after Illegal Handgun, warning like number 17. But Roscoe really was a pretty good dog. Well, my son said, if we get a dog, he said, I'll do three things. I'll feed it. I'll water it. I'll pick up after it. In our family, these became known as the three lies, okay? (laughs) Not good. He has two sisters who are eight and ten years older, and they made their living by teaching piano lessons. Uh, Piano, basically. At one point in time, we had 42 kids a week coming to our house for piano lessons. If I hear Fertilis or Claire de Lunes one more time, I'm going to shoot somebody. I'm telling you. Unbelievable. But they would usually come with little batches of siblings with friends, and we have in our house they would practice the living room, then I had a library built in the back of the house. In the backyard, there was a trampoline and a swing set. Of course they're in and out of the house. Well, I did not want what was outside the grass coming into the house. So I was very serious. This dog weighed about 80 pounds, and large dogs have large deposits, okay? And so we did not want that coming in and ruining our carpet. One time I was preaching out of town for actually Pastor Sidlowski, who's in Dubai at the hospital right now, and it was a one-night meeting, I don't remember what it was, stewardship or something on a Friday night, and I said, hey, he's, he's about 20 miles away from Palm Desert, and I had hotel points, I said, why don't we go down there, Susan, Mark, we'll spend the night there, and we'll, you can swim in the morning, my wife and I will read out there by the pool, Then we'll come back around lunchtime. They all thought that was a wonderful idea, and so we did that, and on the way back I said, Don't forget. Got to pick up that backyard. You weren't home yesterday. Got to pick it up, and uh, we didn't have lessons on, on Sunday, but there were Saturday afternoon. So he said, "Yes, sir." And of course, when a teenager says "yes, sir," that means they remember it for about three one thousandths of a second. And so we got home, and we got home. I said, "Son, son, go pick up his dog." He said, "Yes, sir." And all of a sudden, I heard this snapping sound, a tight snapping sound. I turned around, and there my son is. He's putting on surgical gloves. I'm going, what in the world? Now, when we had a dog, we'd get a piece of newspaper, a brown paper bag. We'd call them lunch bags back then. Throw it away and toss it all away. Not today. Oh, no. It's a new day. I said, what are you doing? And, of course, thinking of the cost, he said, well, I've got gloves. I said, well, you only need one glove. You know I mean? Save the money. And then my wife, being a peacemaker, ladies, blessed are the peacemakers, Matthew chapter 5. My wife said, it's okay, there. She either got them free or she got them in a thrift store. It didn't cost me. I stopped caring about it. Okay. Well, next thing I'm sitting at the kitchen table, going through mail. I see my son out of the corner of my eyes, going like this. He looks like a doctor going into surgery. And have you ever had something hit your mind and you know something is wrong with what you're saying? And I said to him, I said, "Hello, hello." And when you say hello to a teenager, this is not a greeting. This means why is your IQ lower than broccoli? <laughs> he looks at me and he said sir. I said, where's your bag? He said, well, I, I don't use a bag. I Said son, I want you to be a hard worker, but I want you to work smart If you don't have a bag you're gonna make multiple trips back and forth to the trash can and then he said it I Don't use the trash can I'm going pray tell what do you do with the droppings? He goes, I throw them over the fence. <laughs> we lived in a quarter lot, and both of our neighbors had pools. You're getting the visual, okay? It started down on my feet. It started coming up through my legs. I was starting to say, what in the world? I remember he said, Dad, 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 Dad. He said, do you think I'm stupid? <laughs> I wanted to say, oh, it's far beyond that. And then he said, don't worry. I don't throw them in the neighbor's yard. I throw them in the street. Like this is supposed to be a lot better. I said, "Why would you throw the droppings in the street?" He goes, "I'm trying to save you money." He knew that was dear to my heart. We've already been to the dollar store. Bought some water this afternoon. He said, "I thought I said, how is this going to save?" You? He says, "Don't you pay to get the trash cans empty?" I said, "Yes," because but the street sweeper goes by once a week, and you don't pay for that. So whatever your children have done. This was worse, okay, so I would to be aware of that. It could be worse. So, as you have learned, although my wife and I have had the privilege of speaking at over 100 couples retreats, I don't know all the answers to the rearing children. But I do believe I know some of the reasons why we should have a missions conference. And tonight, in the next 25 minutes, I want to speak to you on the value of a soul. The value of a soul. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and verse 37. The Bible says this. Second book of the New Testament. Chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's pray this evening. Lord Jesus, we ask for your help again. We prayed last night. We prayed this morning. We prayed for several weeks about this conference. We prayed this afternoon. I have asked widows of my church to pray for this meeting. I know Pastor Lytell is praying for this meeting. And Lord, I fully believe that if we understood the value of each and every soul, the billions of souls on terra firma today, that we'd be more engaged and more involved in missions, especially in praying and giving. I pray tonight, Lord, that we can picture the value of a soul. Lord, again, I ask for your help. I pray you'll bless these folks here tonight for being faithful, that you'll use our time together we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. When a soul is lost, it is immeasurable, it's irreplaceable, it's irreversible. What's lost is lost forever. There was a sermon where I got this title, it was preached in 1916 by Paul Rader. It's not his outline, but the title of the sermon was The Value of a Soul. He pastored a very famous church called the Raider Tabernacle in Indianapolis, Indiana. He made me think about how valuable a soul is. I received a check last year for what is called a housing allowance. I have a direct deposit for my paycheck, but my housing allowance is a paper check. I was in somewhat of a hurry, and I remember signing it, and I tore it off from the memo, and I remember putting the... Half in the paper tearing it up put in the trash can, and I went to take a picture, but to deposit my bank, and I realized I had torn up the wrong half. The check was torn in half, was in the trash can. Call me Captain Idiot. It was gone, and so I looked at that. I said, "This is unbelievable." Well, I went to see the bookkeeper. I said, "You're not going to believe this." <laughs> I said, "But I." Tore the check up and threw it away. She looks at me. She's courageous. Why do you do that? <laughs> I have no answer. You know what I had done? I had destroyed the valuable part. It kept the worthless part. The memo line of the check was worth nothing. Too often people do that with their lives. We give all the emphasis the earthly part, and we forget the heavenly part, the valuable part, and that is a soul. How many people in non-COVID times spend incredible hours at Planet Fitness, 24-hour fitness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, working on the earthly part? And when the thing that matters is a soul. Now you say, What makes the soul so valuable? And I'd like to give you a few illustrations tonight. And by the way, when we really understand this, I truly believe it makes missions all the more real to us. The value of your soul, first of all, is based on who made it. Who made it? In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Only God can make a soul. The psalmist said in Psalm 100 verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 10, the Bible says, For we are his workmanship. Like a box crafted by a carpenter. He made us. The value of something is based on something Made by someone else But the value is based on who made it Anyone could put oil on a canvas and we have some pictures here tonight that I hope will illustrate this and call it a painting But when Leonardo da Vinci Paints the Last Supper. I tried to find a value of the painting and They just said it's priceless Because of who made it now I've seen Last Supper's painted on black velvet sold to Mexico for 20 30 maybe $50. It depends who made it. I was preaching up about 8,000 feet up at Treasure Mountain Bible Camp just a little ways where you could actually walk up the road to a place called Marble, Colorado. Marble, Colorado obviously, is a place where marble is taken out of the mountain. From that one mine in Marble, Colorado, where they sell countertops and things like this, part of the Washington Monument came from Marble, Colorado. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier came from Marble, from Marble, Colorado. The Lincoln Memorial came from Marble, Colorado. Trucks go up and down the road with loads of marble, and sometimes pieces fall off. I think I have a picture of a piece of marble from Marble, Colorado. It's right here. It was just a piece of junk. Would you like to know what I paid for that? $5. A lady at the camp would collect these pieces of paint little flowers on them. I bought it, and I brought it home to my wife. said, I was thinking about you. My thought was it would last longer than the flowers I bought at the grocery store. No, just kidding. I still buy her the, I bought her flowers last week. But the issue is, who made it? But there was a man who took some marble and he carved something called the Paeta. I think we have a picture of that as well. This is the Paeta. Does anybody know who carved that? Anybody? Michelangelo. Michelangelo. There was a man in 1972 who was deranged, who took a geologist's hammer and started chipping out parts of it. Today, if you wanted to see the Paeta, It's protected by bulletproof acrylic glass. Uh, They once shipped the Paeta from Rome, where it's located, to the United States for viewing. It was put on the deck of the ship with explosives around it that would blow it free if the ship went down and with things that would help it to float. It's because of who made it. And my friends, God made your soul. And he made the soul of every person in this world. I have in my living room a lamp I bought 20 years ago. It's a Faw or fake Tiffany lamp. I look fake Tiffany lamps up online. I think I have a picture of one, and that's a fake Tiffany lamp. You can buy that online. It costs $137.98. Who made it? Who knows? But I have a real picture of a Tiffany lamp. Here it is right here. think we see it. Do you have another picture back there, guys? I'll just say this. The real Tiffany lamp that looks almost exactly like that is $500,000. Because of who made it. Who made it. When we think about the value of the soul, whether it's Mozambique, Taiwan, Uganda. Each soul is valuable because of who made it. We have mission's conference because of the value of a soul. We want to remember that the value of a soul is based on its rarity. But I was searching for rare things, I found the rarest coin, American coin, is called the Flowing Hair Silver Dollar. This coin sold in 2013 for $10 million. I did not buy it. The rarest autograph that I know of is Christopher Columbus. The rarest American autograph is George Washington's autograph signed on his personal copy of the Constitution of the Bill of Rights. That signature, $9.8 million. Can I just say this? That's rare. That's rare. The rarest car that I could find was a Ferrari 1963 250 GTO. This is it right here. It sold for $70 million. $70 million. That, my friends, is rare. And yet, when they made that car, it was not one of a kind. There's not many left, but each soul was one of a kind. David said this. He said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow. Marvel saw thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, and everyone on this earth is fearfully and wonderfully made. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 64, verse number 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay Thou, our potter, listen now, and we are all the work of thy hand. In English, the had Who does it refer back to? God. We're the work of his hand. That's an amazing thing. God made you special and unique. He has a plan for you. He has things that he would have you to do. That's why we need to echo the words of Samuel after being tutored by the priest, Eli, and say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. What would you have me to do? How could I impact the world more for you? God made it special and unique. Each soul is valuable because there's no one else exactly like you or any other person in this world. Each soul is one of a kind. When we further understand the value of the soul, we realize that the worth of something is often based on its longevity. We like to buy things that will last. Carhartt. Levi's jeans. Yeti cups. Hydro flask. L.L. Bean. Maybe a KitchenAid mixer or a Singer sewing machine. How about a cast iron skeleton? Some that last a couple hundred years and still get used. Five generations. And by the way, you know this if you have a cast iron skeleton with no soap and water. Little scary thought there. That's a long time. But can I tell you something? None of those things will be here in eternity. Because everything we have is going to burn up someday. We're very grateful for the home God gave us. I told you we moved into it 10 years ago. We've tried to use it for God's glory. It was owned by a major league baseball player. and He sold it way back in 2006. And then, of course, the market crashed in 2008. The gym knows all about what happened with real estate during that time. And Someone bought it. It was foreclosed on someone. Our church bought it. They lost it. That house that he sold for $689,000 sold on the county courthouse steps for one seventy-nine. dollars We bought it from a property flipper for about $242,000. It's a miracle for us. It's on a one-acre lot. It's got a 3,200-square-foot main house. It's got a guest house. It's got five cars and garage. It's got a pool, which is a pain in the neck for me. I have not been in that pool in 10 years. I have not been in that pool 20 hours in 10 years. I travel all summer. The price has gone back up again. But friends, that house is just going to burn up. In 2007, I bought a, I have a friend who was a car dealership, and I bought a GMC Yukon truck. Got a great deal. It had 30,000 miles. He's the owner of the dealership. He sold it to me for 10 grand. I drove it till this year. It now is 242,000 miles on it. It was falling apart, literally. I sold it to a student for $200 a month for 10 months. <laughs> And I bought myself a new-to-me car. It was beautiful. It was a 2015 Chevy Silverado. First vehicle I've ever had with a backup camera. Bose system. a GPS in it. I thought, this is awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, I've had it for four weeks. It already has two dents in it. I didn't do either one of them. Whoever dented me, one in the front bumper, one in the back bumper. Not huge. Got to look for them. Of course, did they tell me, oh, no. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. I hope to drive until it has 250,000 miles. it will probably have a whole lot more dings and scratches by then. Hold loosely to the things in this world. They won't last, but a soul will. they last forever. If the Lord tarries his coming, we'll truly understand this. That a soul will last for eternity. A great preacher of yesteryear, almost 100 years ago now, Billy Sunday, said this. He illustrated eternity this way. He said, if a little bird would come to earth and take a grain of sand in his beak, and fly off in of space to some distant planet there to deposit that grain of sand, if it took him a million years to make this trip and then a million years to get back, if that little bird could last long enough to remove every grain of sand from this earth and take them all to another planet, when he had done that, it would just be breakfast time in eternity. It's going to last a long time. We need to be cognizant of the future of our own soul, but as believers here on a Sunday night, of the souls of others. The body will die one day, but your soul and everyone else's soul will last forever. The value of a soul. The before the value of your soul is also based on what someone would be willing to pay for it. Recently, there was some digital art that was sold, amazingly, about two weeks ago, by a guy named Beeple, for sixty million dollars. Amazing! It's a picture. They said one of the most expensive pieces of art of all time. What it was was a whole bunch of other pictures put in one giant thing, and just go amazing. First Peter chapter one verse eighteen and nineteen says this: For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, listen now. If you know finance, you might say, "Yeah, like fiat money." No, as silver and gold, because that will all burn up as well. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That was a payment given for our soul. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The price that Jesus paid for us is almost incomprehensible. To go through a crucifixion, to have his skin flayed from his body, to be spat upon, his beard plucked from his face. The pictures that are often shown are not truly accurate because the people were not clothed. Here was this most modest and holiest of all men, hanging naked in front of everyone the shame of that. But he did that to pay for the souls of men. The songwriter said it well. when He said, Oh, how he loves you and me. He loves us so much that he gave himself for us. We understand to some extent the love of a parent for a child. In the study of the time of Diocletian and Nero and others, in the Roman Colosseums, they would often try to get Christians to break by torturing their children in front of them. Some parents literally would lose their mind. They didn't want to deny Christ, but see their children savaged was beyond their comprehension. An amazing thing. The love of a parent for the child. God loved us so much that he allowed his perfect son to be abused and to die for us. What a price. I know this. When people do things for my wife and I, we want to reciprocate. We want to do something kind for them. That should be, the Bible says, being kind one to another. What do you think we owe the Lord for what he's done for us? I've often thought we start with a tithe of our money, and then we give offerings above that, and hopefully faith promise above that. But what a great debt we owe because of what he paid for us. The value of a soul Jesus gave his life so that souls could live forever. Never get away from the truth that God gave the best that he had. He gave his son. And the son of God shed his blood on the cross to pay the price of sin that's demanded for our soul. Your soul, the souls of the world are valuable because of what the Lord paid for it. But once that's done, the next move is up to us. When I was growing up, I grew up in a home that we had a lot of books. My dad was a college professor at Bob Bobbunes University where I was born, and my mom was a principal of our school, my first grade teacher. We never had a TV in our home. We certainly didn't have video games. We weren't a big game family, but my dad did like to teach the boys how to play chess. And I was okay. I was not super proficient, certainly no champion at it. Most of you know that the goal of that game is to bring the other player's king into a checkmate. I read not long ago a story back in the 19th century about a painter who painted a picture of a chess game. In that picture, there's a young man playing, and he's opposed by the devil. And the devil's trying to get his king. The young man has the white pieces, Satan the dark pieces. They're sitting there. The stakes are very high. They're playing for the soul of the young man. In chess, a good player can figure out moves ahead of time, often numbers of moves ahead of time. And a good player can usually say in about four moves what the end result will be, and they can say, you're going to be in checkmate. And then sometimes the player will knock his king over and admit he lost a game. In that picture, Satan has a malevolent look on his face. You could tell he's made the announcement checkmate. The young man has fear and despair on his face. He knows he's been beaten. He's played the devil at his game, and he has lost. A copy of this painting hung in the home of a lawyer in Richmond, Virginia. One evening, a man by the name of Paul Morphy was a guest there. Paul Morphy was a world grand champion in chess. At one time, he was the world's greatest chess player. He was from New Orleans. He was heavily renowned. He finally stopped playing chess because he thought he was going to have a bit of breakdown. The great strain it put on his brain to play the game. That evening, Morphy began to examine that painting. And like any chess player, he began to try to figure out if there was a way the young man with the white pieces could win the game. He asked the host to set up a chessboard. he did, and Morphy sat there and stared at it and stored it. He examined the position, and finally he said, I think I could take the young man's position and win this game. There was a move that the artist who was painting that painting had not seen, but Morphy had seen it. He said, "It takes a young man's place to make the move." He made the move. That move set the young man free. I don't know enough about chess to tell you what that move was, but I know this, friend. There's one move that can set people free—free from the clutches of Satan, from the designation of hell. That move is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because if we do that we will be saved. If you're here tonight and you have not made that move, I beg, plead, implore, cajole you to make that move. And I believe the great majority of us here tonight have made that move. Can I say this? Let's try to help others make that move. I was so impressed by this church the first time I came here a great number of years ago and found out about the count of the tracks. I said, what a blessing. To keep that in front of people, that, that encouraged me. I mentioned it this morning. That just was a blessing. Let's talk about Jesus. The king of kings is he. And not only would God want us to tell other people about Jesus, I believe our heavenly father would want us to help others to go to places where they can tell other people about Jesus. That's why I'm such a believer in faith-promised missions. That's why we, too, ought to say, you know what? I want to do more this year. I want to help more missionaries. Take some new missionaries on. Get them in places where we can't go. I don't know if in my lifetime it's highly unlikely I'll ever go to Mozambique or Uganda. But I'm so thankful that people are willing to go because they understand. The value of a soul. Let's pray tonight. Their heads bowed, their eyes closed, like to ask you this evening how many here tonight would say, Dr. Rasmussen, I understand a little bit better the value of a soul. And with God's help, I want to do more to tell people about Jesus and through missions to help other people to hear about Jesus. To go where we can't go. With God's help, I'm going to ask him to help me to do that. If you would say that tonight, would you raise your hand? Many hands raised. Thank you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and you can pray there at your seat. Why don't you ask the Lord, Lord, show me what you'd have me to do. Show me what you'd have me to give so I can lay up for myself treasures in heaven where moth and dust don't corrupt, where thieves don't break and steal. You wanna come to the altar and pray tonight? It's between you and the Lord, it's not my business. You wanna pray there at your seat, you can do that. But I challenge you tonight to talk to the Lord about whatever it is he's talked to you about. Lord, I pray you'll bless during this invitation time. I pray you'll speak to heart. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website gospelbaptistchurch.com or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Benita Springs Florida also you could call the church office at 2399471285 thank you and god bless